I'm really excited about this morning because Carl Wheeler is uh, our guest preacher and Carl has been a friend and preaching at our church in its various iterations now for 20 years. Uh, Carl is also a pastor at the refuge, has uh, two children and a granddaughter that he really likes more than his children, I found out. And um, so uh, Carl uh, preached last night up on the mountain. It was just, it was great. So I'm excited to I'm really excited to hear him again and grateful because uh, it gave me some time this week to work on our next Downside Up film that we hope to, to do in December that you're all a part of. So I'm really excited about that. But right now, uh, this is Carl, and uh, I'll pray for him, and That'd then awesome. you are in charge of the electricity, okay? okay. Father, um, I want to thank you again so much for Carl. Uh, Lord, I thank you for Carl's heart. I thank you for his vulnerability. I uh, thank you, Lord, for the way um, I can see you so clearly in Carl. Uh, Lord, and I also thank you for Carl's uh, uh, gifts that he uses, um, well, to bless all of us. So this morning, Father, I pray that your spirit, you would, you would apply the word to our hearts, like, like food, not in a way that we can understand, but that we'd ingest the word and the word would change us from the inside out. So, Lord, we open ourselves to what you want to do, and I pray that you would bless Carl even as he speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Guys, this is really fun for me to be here. I, um, I know that maybe you, you've never met me or seen me, but it's, it feels familiar to me to get to be um, following Peter. I don't know if there's a joke in that somewhere, but I don't know where it's at. <laughs> but I'm glad I get to be here. Hey, I, it, it's nice sometimes just to check in, kind of get a feel for where we are. Here, so I want you to do this. I want you to put your hands on your lap, if you can. Just put your hands on your lap. Your left pinky is like the worst, and your right pinky is the best. So that's the continuum. So you just push whatever finger you feel like answers this question. And, and I've just got a couple for you as soon as I can... I had some notes. That, oh, there they are. Okay, here we go. I can't remember. Oh, here's one. Oh, how tired are you? So your right hand, would, your right pinky would be the most tired you've ever been. Your left, you're full of energy and lots of caffeine in you. All right? So push one of those. All right. How lonely are you today? How stressed will you be during the service about the Bronco score? <laughs> One of those? Okay. So it's just, it's just kind of a way. That this, is, this is where I'm starting from today. And here's the sort of our reality as being a group of people, a little community together. Probably nobody pushed the same buttons. And so we're all coming from a different place. But God's going to meet us wherever it happens that we are starting from today. Let me read for you a, a part of the Bible. It's from a, a book called Hebrews, and it's kind of near the end, and I'm going to be reading from the 12th chapter, just a couple verses, so you can just listen along if you'd like. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. 
And let's run with endurance. Let's run without ever giving up the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in the struggle against sin. So I want to share with you an experience that happened to me a few years ago that will sort of parallel my story, will parallel a little bit of how we're going to have this conversation today about this part of the Bible that I'm calling spiritual fatigue. This phenomenon of, of becoming very tired in our soul and in our spirit. So it was a long time ago, and a group of friends asked me if I would go backpacking with them. And I'll confess that backpacking has never been a big interest of mine. It, matter of fact, it feels, it feels just opposite of what life is about. Like, I, I feel like we work hard so we can have a house and a nice comfortable bed. And then to give all that up and call it vacation makes no sense to me. <laughs> like, vacation is sort of trying to improve on that, like a beach someplace. But anyhow... I wanted to be with these friends, so I agreed. And it just so happens that one of my very best friends is an expeditionist. And um, I say that carefully, that means that he doesn't take his clothes off. It means that he has traveled all over the world and has climbed the highest peaks on every continent except for Everest, and he'll tell you why he didn't want to do that one. And so I told him, I shared with him that these, these friends of mine had invited me to go on this four-day backpack trip, and he was so excited, like I was going to finally see the light, I was going to experience real life, and, and so he, and I don't have, what do, I have nothing for backpack, nothing, not one thing, and so he takes me into his basement, and I'm not exaggerating, on his wall were, I, I don't know how many backpacks, it was a wall of backpacks, and then he begins to interview me, so where are you going? Uh, we're going to the Cloud Peak Wilderness area, someplace in Wyoming, and, how many days are you going to be gone? Four days. And so he kind of looks and he goes, this is the one. And like there's a pack made for the Wyoming four-day trip. <laughs> like, this, like this is crazy. And so then he begins to explain to me what I have to do to get ready. So he gets me a special, a special sleeping bag based on the exact temperature range that I will be in. He gets me a, a sleeping mat. Side note, that was worthless. Okay? So... <laughs> I have no idea what that was for. That helped not one little bit, sleeping on rocks. But then he begins to tell me that the, the whole key to backpacking is that you become as light as you can. You want to carry as little weight as possible. And so he said, so four days, Carl, here's what I want you to pack. I want you to pack one pair of underwear. I think, you're a pig. I mean, what do you mean? how much does underwear weigh? No, you only need one pair of underwear for a four-day trip. You need two pair of socks. You need one pair of shorts lightweight, you need a pair of wool pants. He outfits me with everything. We weigh, we, we approximately the same size, he gave me some of his stuff. He even, by the way, took, took a toothbrush and snapped it in half so that I only carried half a toothbrush. <laughs> but this is a little finesse. And he, he took the, the amount of toothpaste you would need for four days and squeezed that into a little baggie. All right, hardcore. But I know nothing and I'm, I'm happy to go along. So we travel, you know, we, we drive up to where we're going and this group of guys, and when we get there, we, we laid out on the ground all the things that we needed to share in common, some tents and food. 
and then we divided that up evenly to put into everybody's backpack, and so everybody's kind of busy repacking their packs, and we get ready. And they told me, I can't remember now, but I think it was a little over a 10-mile hike that we were going to be on that day to get to our campsite. And um, so we start out, and it's, it's beautiful. It's a long, long, long valley, actually. So there's very, very little incline, and it's all completely tree-covered, and it's just beautiful. And I don't, I don't mean to brag, but I, I'm kind of in first place here. Like, I'm, I'm leading the group. And it's very clear where the trail is, and, and I'm just hustling along and, and clicking off the miles, and I'm thinking, I love backpacking. This is awesome. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. And we, every once in a while, we'll stop for a little break by a, by a stream. And, and it's really just a marvelous day. And so I'm keeping track as best I can of approximate mileage. And it feels like we should be about done. And we come to a, a, to a bowl. So the trail basically ends. And to my right, there is, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating, a half mile straight up sheer rock cliff. And my friends finally catch up to me because they're lazy. <laughs> and they say that we're going up there. And I, I know no better, so I think, okay, well, let's just go. And so we all take off and pretty soon I'm all alone and they're way ahead of me. And, and, and a not even quite halfway through. I, I am experiencing pain. I've never had pain like this. I've never given childbirth, but I'm about to birth a lung. Like, this is hurting so bad. Like, I know I'm internally hemorrhaging. This is, and like, it's really bad. And we're having to sort of climb like this. There's just a few places where you can actually hike. And, 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 and they're cheering me on, but, it, but it's, it's in that kind of condescending way. Come on, little buddy, you can make it. You know, I mean, that, the kind that hurts a little bit. And, and, and they're up there, and they're, I don't understand how they've gotten ahead of me. And it's, it's and of course, at this point, in the midst of this kind of pain, I'm thinking, well, what was wrong with just camping at the bottom? <laughs> like, that was a beautiful little meadow. And, it was, and, and, for, and now that I'm thinking of it, we passed a hotel on the way up. We could have we just taken pictures and we could have stayed in the hotel. And, but now we're on this trip. And so we, I, pr I press on. And I'll admit, I press on because they're, They've got all my stuff and they're at the top. <laughs> and so I, I finally, I don't know, maybe an hour after they had already arrived. As a matter of fact, when I finally get to camp, they've already set up the tents. That's how long it took me. And, I'm, and I am barely crawling in. I just collapse. And as I do, my friends begin to snicker. Kind of a, and I think, Jesus wouldn't do that. That's not nice. <laughs> and, but they're, they're, clearly there's, they think, I think they think it's funny that I'm so out of shape that I've almost died getting to where they are. But, but that's not what, the, what it was. What it was was, see, as we began to unload our backpacks and finally begin to set up, they are watching me do this. And I discover in my backpack that there's a little initiation that I did not know about for new backpackers, which was back at the beginning when I told you we were, is to see how many rocks they can get into the new guy's backpack. If I had not been exhausted, I would be today in prison for murder. 
If I had had the physical ability to hurt them, I would have. I mean, I left a pair of underwear and I traded it for a rock and there's no need for rocks where I am. In fact, that's all there is. As a matter of fact, it looks like there's been thousands of guys like me who have come up with rocks because that's all I can see. We're way above tree line. Now, I will tell you this, that it was breathtaking, this campsite. There was off to our side this huge high alpine lake that was so crystal clear that you could see huge, huge trout 20, 30 feet down because it was so crystal clear. And the mountain peaks which were just surrounding us, it was, it was breathtaking. But that trip is going to parallel it and sort of tell my own spiritual story. And it tells a little bit of the story, I think, of Hebrews 12. I have this idea that this particular book of the Bible was written to some people who were spiritually fatigued. They were exhausted. And quite honestly, they were at that point where I think they were thinking, why are we doing this? I just want to give up. If I just quit, if I stop, the pain will go away. I believe the gospel is good news. It's always good news. I've got a little bad news for you, though. And that is that in the midst of this good news, and maybe contrary to what you've heard, I don't think it gets easier. In fact, my own experience is that the longer I follow Jesus, in fact, the more difficult it seems to become for me. It's not easier, but the, the, the incline tends to get steeper. Now, I believe the gospel is good news, and I believe it'll be worth it, but I believe that, that feeling that if I, could, if I just quit, would this pain go away, is not uncommon to all of us. And it certainly was a part of these people's experience. So, that's gonna be our, our discussion. We're gonna talk about our own spiritual journey a little bit and how it relates to this. Let me just say on that, that you see the beginning of the trip was a little bit like the beginning of my own spiritual journey. See, at the very beginning, when I, when I met Jesus in ninth grade, I had nothing but energy for Jesus. Like, I, I was a zealot, I was, I was running fast. I, and I, I can remember today thinking then that I will never doubt like, I will never doubt. How can anybody ever doubt? I will, I will never be immoral. How could somebody be immoral? I will never be a, I'll never get drunk. I'll never smoke. I mean, I'll never do a lot of things. I was filled with zeal. But my experience looking back, it didn't play out that way. In the same way that when I was walking, I couldn't imagine being tired. Again, where are these guys behind us? And this is easy. Now, that's not may be true for everybody's experience here. I, I certainly, I'm not saying this is a universal, but I'm saying it's not uncommon at least. So let, let's talk about this. Here, here's what I know from my hiking, and, and that was if those guys had not been with me, I would have quit. No question. If I had been one of those people who liked to go backpacking solo, I would have, I'm sure I would have tried to climb up and I would have gone about a third of the way and I thought, this is stupid, and I'd have gone and had my little campsite in the meadow. I would not have continued on, but because I was with them, I wasn't alone. I was caught up in that. And that's kind of what he's saying. He says, therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, 
And what he's saying is others have made it, and you can make it too in this, this cloud or crowd of witnesses, is Hebrews 11. That's the chapter right before the one I just read. And it's filled with name after name after name after name of folks from the Old Testament who became followers of God. And here's what's unique. Every one of them struggled. Every one of them. Not, for not one of them was it this easy little trip. But it was very, very difficult. And he lists some of their stories. I'll just read a couple. So, in, for instance, in verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. So let's just think about it. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Noah, but you probably are because there was a really bad movie made about it. <laughs> and and the, so the story of Noah is that God comes to Noah one day, and I don't know how he does that, but he kind of explains to Noah that things are going to go real bad. And, and God says that there, there's going to be this rain. Now here's a little side note. It's possible that it had never rained before. But even if he understood the concept of rain, it had never flooded before. And so God tells him what a flood is. And he says, I want you to build a boat. Now we don't know how long it took, but this, we're talking a, a wooden cruise ship. So it's, some people theorize at least 100 years it took to build this. And typically when you would build a boat, you would build that near a large body of water. That makes sense, boats go into the water. But Noah is building it near the material, near the resource of what he's gonna to take to build. And there is no big body of water anywhere, and if, even if there was, how would you get it into the water? But he's not worried about that. But his neighbors are. <laughs> so you just think about it. You know, your kids go to his kid's school and you're, you've been friendly, you know each other. And suddenly one day, there's this guy, your neighbor, the person whose children your children play with. And he's building a boat, a couple of football fields long. We're not talking a little dinghy here. And he's doing this for over maybe a hundred years. And be honest, would you let your children play with his kids? You're not gonna let your kids go over there overnight. Here's one of the things that for many of the people in this, in this hall of fame, this, this faith story, is they were perceived to be insane. They were crazy. They're believing the most unbelievable story that God is going to flood the world. And Noah's only defense, what was Noah's only defense when people would ask him, hey Noah, tell us again, what's the deal with the boat? Because God said it. That's all he's got. There's story after story. It, it, here's another one. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance, what we understand today to be Israel, but maybe not the Israel we think of. But there was this land, and he went without knowing where he was going. Abraham was, un was rich beyond what you and I can conceive of to be wealthy. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all of that and I want you to just start walking. Where? I'll let you know. And that's all that God told him. How'd you like to have been his wife? Hey baby, where are we going? Not real sure. Do you think they're gonna have a pool? I don't know. I have no idea where we're going. 
Why are we doing this? Because God said. The stories go on and on. I know how familiar you are with the Bible, but, but for a long time, God had promised that through Abraham and through his wife Sarah, that, that a, whole, a whole nation of followers of God would be birthed, but they didn't have any children. And, and now Sarah's really, really old. She's, she's got raisinets for ovaries. I mean, she's gone beyond being able to have babies. But God says it's through her that he will birth the beginning of this new nation. And she believes. One of my favorite people that shows up is, is Rahab, and this is what it says if you don't know her story. It's a, it's a wonderful story. I won't go into the whole thing, but let me just read this. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city. The people who refused to obey God, but she agreed to believe. And I love that, because how many times have I felt sort of disqualified to be a person of faith? And here, without without blushing or blinking, is her profession. The, the big idea is that we're in this together, that you're not alone, and I know that lots of us have shown up feeling pretty lonely. But we're in this together somehow, and others have made it, and you can make it too. Just about a month ago, my wife and I, my wife is very athletic, and she's a very good hiker. And... Um, and so we, she wanted to do a 14er, and so about the, one of the easiest you can do other than Pikes Peak, which you can drive to, is Mount Democrat, which is pretty close. We have a trailer up in the mountains, which we love to go to, and so it's very close to that, and it's outside of Fair Play. So Mount Democrat's a little over 14,000 feet, and so 14ers are they called, and so she wanted us to do that, and so I agreed, and, and so we're doing it. And, and I was really struggling. She's a mountain goat, so she goes up and comes back and checks on me. She goes up and comes back and checks on me. It's a little humiliating, I will admit, but... We get quite a ways up, and then there's a, there's a peak, and it's a very popular it's a very popular 14er. So there was quite a few people coming and going, and I'll admit at the at the sort of the base of the last ascent, I most likely would have quit. Except for one thing, I could see the very very top, and I could see people coming down, and I don't mean to be rude, but as people were passing me, there was a lot of chubby people passing me, and I'm just being honest. And there are a lot of people going in my head. I'm going, Oh my gosh, they made it. I can do this too. This idea that others have made it and regardless of how, how desperate you may feel, you can make it too. I've often heard this, therefore being surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses, I've heard this either preached or even myself have taught it in this way, that it would be as if you and I were running our Christian experience at the bottom of a stadium, and the stadium was filled with these people cheering us. And, and I don't think that's a bad image, but I don't think it's quite accurate. As if they sat sort of aloof from us in, in a way that wasn't part of our own experience. The way I like to picture it, has, have you ever, has anybody here ever done the Boulder Boulder? Everybody, who's done Boulder Boulder? It's now, I, from what I understand, the largest 10K in the nation. I mean, it's, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And every year, my wife and I and a couple friends, we always walk this, this, this Boulder Boulder. And I've got to tell you, it's a fascinating experience because there are thousands of people with you as you're walking and then along along the way there are people handing you water and there's bands playing and there's people dressed up in funny costumes and, and 
everybody is, you're, you're caught, quite frankly, in a mob. I don't think you could quit if you wanted to quit because you're, you're just surrounded, you get it? Surrounded by people moving in the same direction, going to the stadium. You end up at, uh, at, at Buffalo Stadium, Buff Stadium there in Boulder. I think that this is what Jesus meant when he said we were his body, that we were his mob, we were, we were his church, we, we were in this together. But we've become very sort of individualistic. In fact, I don't mean, don't take this the wrong way, but this passage wasn't written to you. It was written to us. You see, the people, when they, when, they, when they heard this, there was a group of people, there was different groups of people listening to this, but there was nobody who had, a, at this time, who had a Bible and off in the corner doing their devotions. But they were listening it as a group. And so when he said that you can make it, he, he meant you as a group, all of you together can do this. But there's something about that that we, we sort of lost in our culture. This idea that it's not just me and Jesus, but it's us. And I belong to a mob, and others have made it, and I can make it too, and you can tell me your story, and I can tell you my story, and somehow it helps. But if nobody ever hears my story, or if I don't hear your story, we could talk about that for lots. I'll move on. The next thing I learned from my trip, and you've already caught that on, is that Backpacking is really difficult. The spiritual life, I believe, is difficult. But when something is hard, like backpacking, it's almost impossible if you're carrying extra weight. And that's true in our spiritual walk. I'll read again for you what it says. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down and especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance. Let's run without ever giving up the race that this God has set out before us. Uh, let me um, tell you how I'm gonna kind of use the word sin here. I'm, I'm using it in, in a really broad way. I, I'm, I'm using it not only as, as those things that individually I commit, but also as part of the experience of living in a world that's gone kind of wacky that isn't quite what it was supposed to be, a world that has tasted death that wasn't supposed to know about death. That, that whole idea is what I think the Bible talks about sin. I think sin is not some idea that God arbitrarily has made up, that sometimes we sort of get that picture when people describe it, but I don't think that's it at all. I think sin is simply God knowing what is best for us and God pleading with us to do what is best for us and us choosing to not do what is best for us, and that's what he calls sin. But just using that word just for a minute, and I'm gonna use it in a broader, but, but in the way that maybe you're even more familiar with, with, you don't have to say this out loud, I'd like for you to think of a sin. And if you can't think of one for you, think of your neighbors. That might be easier. <laughs> this is a very holy group. Just think of one. I'll give you a second. In some ways, maybe as it relates to that first point, here's, Here's my theory about that. It's whatever it is you thought of will lead you to be alone. 
It will lead you to loneliness. In my theory, sin never leads you into a community of people, but always leads you away. Last time I was here, I shared with you, this was, I don't know, a few years ago, I guess, five years ago, four years ago, I don't remember, but when I was here, as a matter of fact, I do know, it must have been four years ago, because I had one year of sobriety at that time. Now I've had five years of sobriety. But I remember early in when I was in recovery, that my counselor said to me, remember this, that your addiction wants to get you alone, so it can kill you. And man, those words have stuck with me. I think about Jesus' words that the enemy wants to come and he wants to kill you. And how does he do that? He never does it in a group. He never kills you when you're part, when you're part of a community, when you're part of a body. But he isolates you somehow and gets you alone so he can kill you. And he does that. And that's, that's what we call sin. It's possible that when I said that word, just a little side note, you might have thought of sexual. And you might have thought, well, I thought sexuality is what's bringing us together, but not when it's sexual sin. I, I, th- I don't know who it was, maybe G.K. Chesterton said that men don't pay prostitutes for sex. They pay prostitutes to go away. That even what, is, what we believe will somehow fix the loneliness within us in, just leads us to deeper and deeper and deeper isolation. But the one that I'd like for us to talk for a few minutes together about is not just this idea of the sin, but of the weight. Remember, he, he talks about two different things. He's here. He, says, he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin. But they're two different things, and I'll give you my own theory. My own theory is that sin is somewhat universal. It, it, it applies to all of us. It's the same for everybody. If it's sin, it's, it's sin for you, and it's maybe sin for me. That's kind of what he's talking about there. But the weight, here's where I think is, I think the weight is unique to individuals. A weight is something that might slow you down, but maybe not somebody else. I shared with you my, my struggle with addiction. I wish that my addiction was limited only to alcohol. And by the way, I, I guess I can say this as it relates to, you know, I took it to the sin law. I would say this as it relates to being a weight. I don't think there's anything wrong with alcohol. I think alcohol is a gift from God. Somebody said beer is evidence that God loves us. I totally understand that. <laughs> and I wish I could participate, but I can't. I can't explain why, is it because for four generations there have been alcoholics in my family and somehow it's genetic? I don't know, it doesn't matter. I just know I can't in the way that other people can. It's a little bit unique to those of us who are alcoholic. It's, I'm not ashamed, to be quite honest with you, I'm not ashamed of being an alcoholic. It ain't my fault. I'm ashamed of being drunk. That's my fault. But the alcoholism is not my fault. I didn't, I didn't choose that. I didn't wake up going, gee, I wish I could struggle with that. And there's things in your life that, that you have, I'm, I'm, I feel so sad, that you might feel shame for that aren't necessarily, quote, your fault. It's just your predisposition. So after I got done with alcoholism, I found sugar. Sugar is everywhere. You've got to go to special stores to get alcohol. You don't for sugar. You can go anywhere. It's unbelievable. And do you know that in your, in your brain, it fires some of the same stuff? 
And they can't kick you out of church for sugar. You can have all you want. And you even provide it. You're like dealers sometimes. You go to a potluck. Here, come here, little boy. It's crazy. I don't think sugar's bad. There's lots of people. And sugar has nothing to do with weight. But there's some of us, and those of you who know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. That once you start, you cannot stop. These are the weights. Here's what I like for us to do. Weights are things that are not necessarily in and of themselves bad, but for some people become bad. They, they become harmful. They become, I guess, sinful. So I'd like for us to listen. I'm going to give you permission. You can talk back now. This is that part, all right? So don't, 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 you're not being rude. And I'd like for your help. I'd like for us to brainstorm together. What are some of the weights that perhaps slow you or your neighbor down? Not necessarily wrong, but the things that he might be talking about. What do you think he might be talking about? Stuff. Stuff. Accumulating stuff. Awesome. I'll repeat them just for the micro, for the audio. Judgment. Say so expectations. Okay. Say so what? I, I can't hear. Adultery. Yeah, yeah, that one's a little harder not to dabble in, I guess, but yeah. All right, adultery, what else? Money. Money Money is neither good nor bad, but it ruins some people's lives, as a matter of fact, the Bible says. What else? Work. Work. Something that is even good becomes bad for some people. Just the busyness. I gotta stay busy. Incessant, incessant activity, she said. Video games. Awesome. That was really brave of you, and thank you. I, I have, and I'll be honest, I have seen that so many times. That's a generation past me. That wasn't my generation. But man, the generation right behind me, man, have I seen it for years now. Video games. Some of these could be such a fun little diversion. Occupy some people's entire day. You got the idea. And you've got your own. You've got, your one, you've got the one that inside of you you did not want to say out loud because it feels so shameful. And the weight which so easily can slow us down. Years ago, I was working for a youth ministry. This is a long time ago. I was working in youth ministry. And I was working, I was assigned to a high school and sort of to get my way in, I would help coach. So I helped coach um, football, and then I, I coached track. I know nothing, obviously, you can look at me. I know nothing about track. I know nothing about, all I know about track is go faster, turn left. That's all I know. That was the, the vast knowledge of my track experience. And so we had, we had a, I had a track team, and actually, that very first year where I was the ninth grade coach, we had some phenomenal kids. We won almost everything. And, um, but I had this kid on my team. And he was a, a sort of a middle, long-distance person. And he was terrible. All right, that, that's mean. He was, wasn't as good as some others, let's say. And, um, you know, they, we, would, we would run, and in ninth grade track, you, you can dump a ton of kids in some of the long races, and he was always in the, at the very end of, of every race. There is in track, there's an 800-meter eight, um, relay. And we had a really good 800-meter relay team, except 
one of the kids right before the last meet of the year, the regional meet, got sick. And you can only put so many kids in so many events. I can't remember how many, but they can only be like in three events and then that's it. And I didn't have anybody else. And so I had to put this kid on, in the regional meet into the 800 meter race. So I show up, it's, a, it's chaos. There's every school's there, lots of kids. And I'm trying to get everybody organized, make sure they know where their start times are and all that. And, um, and I noticed that this kid has gone out the night before and he has bought what is called Nike Air Socks. Now let me explain, a Nike Air Sock, an Air Sock is a racing shoe. You cannot train in, a, in an Air Sock. It doesn't have any arch support. And the difference between the normal tennis shoes or running shoes that he had and the Air Socks is about four or five ounces. That's the only difference. Four or five ounces lighter. But he went out the night before for one race, this is the last race of the year, and he spent $80 to get a pair of Nike Air Socks so he could run this race. And let me tell you what happened that day. So that day the gun goes off. And do you know where he finished that day? Dead last. Remember I told you he was terrible at this. <laughs> but his commitment to being as light as he possibly can, I've never forgotten. And I've wondered in my own life, what if I were as committed to being as light as I possibly could would in fact this journey that sometimes feels so hard maybe be just slightly less hard? So for, for our time together, this is what I wrote down. I, I, I wanted you to remember this, that, I, that you're not alone. Others have made it, you can make it too. That extra weight makes what's hard almost impossible. And then the third point, there's something about Jesus. I, I couldn't figure out something that was really clever. Like I... But there's just something about Jesus. I know that doesn't, that's, that's not, doesn't make for good note-taking, but there's something about Jesus. And this is what he, he says. And we do this hard thing by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Or later, other place in this very book, it says that he, he talks to God about me. I, um, I believe in lots of things I don't fully understand. I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I fully understand the gospel, the, this, this good news. I don't, I don't really understand that, that Jesus who is God comes to earth and, and I don't understand it. But like lots of things that I don't believe, or I, I, I believe but don't understand, it doesn't stop me from participating in them. If, for example, I don't, I don't know how all of the lights come on. I don't understand what it is. You push a little button and suddenly light appears. But just, just two weeks ago, I, I, I rewired a 50 amp sub-panel with two, two double pole amp breakers and a single, I did an entire electrical job, but have no clue how any of it works. I just know enough not to get shocked. I've done it hundreds, I've rewired hundreds and hundreds of things. But I'm no closer to understanding how it works. There is something about the story of Jesus that some people go, well, they, they become frustrated because what happens is sometimes the longer you go, the harder it gets to explain. I, I don't under, riddle me that. 
But the love of God becomes unexplainable. But I can show you how it works. I can show you an empty cross. I can show you a Jesus who never gave up. I don't understand it, but I can see that. And he says that there is something about Jesus in this, in this life of faith that is the, I mean, it's the thing. <laughs> I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding that Jesus' life was easier than our lives. That Jesus somehow floated through. Well, we know he had that kind of a rough ending, but other than that, it wasn't so hard. I don't believe that's true. And I'll tell you why. I think Jesus suffered in a way that no human has ever suffered. Let, let's, let's all pretend that we're gonna be part of it. You and I are gonna have a bet. So I'm betting with you. You and I are gonna have this little bet. We can tell nobody about our bet and the bet will only last two weeks. And the bet is that you and I are gonna go two weeks without sugar. It's just pretend. I'm not asking you to sign any commitments today, so don't, don't panic. But we're gonna go two weeks without sugar. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna make this bet. We go two weeks without sugar. And I don't know about you, but I know me. I know my own addictive side. I know, I know what will happen after about three or four days. I'll start shaking, I'll have a cold sweat. I'll be, this, this is what heroin addicts do. They try to, so that's what that, that's what that symbolizes, is for sugar. I wanna mainline some sugar. I start dreaming about sugar. All I can think about is sugar. The, the, each day, it, it becomes harder to not have sugar because I haven't had any sugar. I become obsessed with it. And about a week into this, remember we said we weren't gonna tell anybody, and about a week into it, my wife says to me, hey baby, I made a German chocolate cake, my favorite kind, and I made it with double icing. The only part that matters, the cake is just a carrier for icing. <laughs> and she says, and I, I just made, and then she leaves and, and goes somewhere, and I'm alone with the double icing German chocolate cake. And we all know what's gonna happen, right? The cake's gonna sing. Come here. And who wouldn't want to see a singing cake? <laughs> and so, you know, and you probably know how this, you know, and, I'm, and I will, will my uh, oblivious self, I will just want to go see the cake, but I'm not going to touch it. Well, maybe touching it, because we didn't say there's anything about touching it. And whoops, I got a little bit on my finger. And, and once I have that first little taste, I'm going to go, I'm going to have an aneurysm and just eat the whole thing. I know me. And in those few moments before I just probably have to throw up, I'm going to feel relieved. All the wanting, all the wanting has gone away. You and I get together after two weeks, and I say to you, my struggle was harder than your struggle. My, heart, my struggle was so hard, I had to give in. And you say to me, oh no, Carl, my struggle was harder than yours because I never knew what it was like to have relief from the wanting. The Bible describes in a way that I cannot explain, but I can see that Jesus was sinless. 
And yet it says that he can look each one of us in the eyes and he looks us and he says, I know, I know what you're going through because I was tempted in exactly the same way you've been tempted. There is no temptation, there's been no wanting, there's been no jonesing that you have had that Jesus himself has not had and he knows exactly what it's like. Remember it says on the last night, and we can only imagine the agony in that garden, but it says he prayed all night. And one of the things I think he is wrestling with is the pressure of a life of never getting to do his own thing. And of all the times he would love to get to do his own thing and not maybe what the Father wanted would be in this moment when he knows he is facing an excruciating death. But for the joy set before him, he endured and he never gave up and he never knew what it was like to have the pressure of being human go away. That's the Jesus it says we follow. I don't know what that looks like for you. It probably looks different at different times in your life. It probably looks different for you than it does for me. But I like what it says here. It says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Think of all he went through and then you won't become weary and give up. He's not shaming you for your struggle, but he's telling you he's out in front of your struggle and he knows that feeling. I'd like to pray for us. So if you could bow your head. If that's what you like to do, you don't have to, but sometimes it helps. And I'd just like you to think through, are you alone? Are you weighed down? And have you lost sight of Jesus? So help us. Oh, we crave your mercy, and you pour it out. Thank you so much. Help me, Father, help me not give up, help me run with endurance, and help my friends, help my friends here at the sanctuary do that. Amen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And so look to Jesus. For on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And so you see, what does that mean if you feel alone? Well, if you took it and you drank it, if you took it and you ate it, you, you wouldn't be alone. And it means that not only is he out in front of you, but if you took it and you ate it and you took it and you drank it, he'd be within you and you'd be like his body. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. So I think what Carl said is so true. You can't understand it, but you can see it. And he said, watch this. This is my body. This is my blood. St. Augustine said that faith in us is Christ Jesus in us. 
So he doesn't just look at you from the top of the mountain and say, hey, little guy, you can do it. But he, he comes down and, he, and he's willing to do it in you. And so as you come to the table this morning, that's what you're saying. You're saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. I, I really can't do it, but you have done it. And so do it in me. Um, let's run the race with perseverance. In Jesus' name, look, look to him, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. It's also sometimes translated the author and the finisher of your faith. Look to him, ingest him, and then let's worship him. The dark cup is wine, the light cup is juice. They're both God's mercy for you. Continue to look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Realizing that uh, he has run the journey and finished it, and he even runs it in you, and so may every weight and sin drop away. And may you realize you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, a body of which you are a part. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.